The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this episode are that of the guest and host and do not necessarily reflect the values of sponsors or other associated organizations. Welcome to the Parental Compass, presented by Family Education and Support Services. I am your host, Bobby Williams. As always, please subscribe to the show. Any platform you're listening on, you can subscribe. That way you'll get notified every week when we drop the next episode. It's the holiday season. Recently, I had a great time at the Family Education and Support Services holiday party. Uh, It was great just to meet so many members of the team and hear about how the show gets used in parenting classes. Everyone was just very cool and inviting, and it made me feel proud to be part of the, the FEST family here. So shout out FEST. Everyone wants to have a open dialogue with their child. You want to feel like your children can come and talk to you about anything. But that takes work. What about when they say something that's shocking or something that really makes you mad? Today I'm speaking with Krishita Begum. Krishita is a speaker and facilitator that isn't afraid to talk about difficult issues. She's done a lot of work around racism and sexual assault, and is just a courageous person in general. This was a really great conversation. Let's check it out. Where they need us, they depend on us for everything. And then they get to a place, whether 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, where uh, at some point we're just tour guides that are guiding our kids to just be good people and make good decisions. And along that way, they take detours. And how do we support and love them uh, while they take those detours or while they do things and make choices that is not anything that we had any part in yeah you know well well, I think you touched on the idea of shame and maybe sometimes it's like you as a parent have this feeling of shame of like my child went out and did this and then you're like projecting that shame onto them kind of yeah yeah and we really you know, the, the word shame and guilt um, and judgment, those are three things that are really detrimental to our kids learning and moving forward, you know, because we're supposed to be the trustworthy people that they can come regardless. We love our kids unconditionally. Um, and so when they make a mistake um, or they do something that is totally against the opposite of what we taught them, Um, how do we not come from a place of judgment of criticism and shaming because that shame is deep yeah that shame will carry on to the next experience and choice that they make and um, it's the same thing when we do these conversations about equity and diversity and inclusion um, in anti-racist work I kind of equate it to the same if we're calling people out we're shaming people, we're making people feel guilty, 
um, and we're judging people based off of their choices or how what their lived experiences were, that actually causes more harm and it shuts people down. And that's what we want to get away from doing. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like we can know inside our head, okay, don't shame my child. Don't flip out when they tell me something. But then when you're in the moment and it's actually happening, you have all these feelings inside. And are there any techniques to get through that? Is it just take some deep breaths or talk to them or? No, because I mean, no, because we are all human beings and we are all guilty of um, you know, hearing something, learning of something, and we get in shock and we respond and we react and we want to save and rescue yeah. uh, mode. And we, even if we do that, it's also falling back on our um, adult experiences of emotional intelligence of like, you know what, coming back and being accountable for it and saying, you know what, you told me about this situation where you know, I'm just giving an example. You went to this party, you weren't supposed to go. I thought you were somewhere, you got drunk or you did drugs or whatever you did. And I totally blew up out of proportion and I totally shamed you and I judged you for it. And I want to apologize for it. How can I make it right? How can I walk with you in where you're at right now how do we move forward and it's just being accountable even if we make a mistake with our kids um that that we own it and we exemplify that by owning it and saying you know what i totally overreacted i shouldn't have done this i shouldn't have done that but how can we move forward from where we're at right now and that's that's getting it back to where you're going to work as a team to get through that. Sometimes parents can say things like, if anyone ever hurts my child, I will kill them or, you know, things like that. And on one hand, it's like, well, I'm protecting my child, but then it also might make it where your child doesn't want to approach you because they might think you're going to flip out. You know, and we do that. It's a, it's act of love. It's act of protection to, um, make sure that, you know, kids and families and people know, like, my kid would never do that or be part of that. Or, um, you know, nobody would ever hurt my child. And if they did, this is what would happen. Um, it's, again, it's done out of love and it's out of show protection. But when we're doing that, what we're really communicating is that we are not allowing that child to, or that, that person that if, if somebody does hurt them in the, in the truth of the matter is like, I've told you yesterday, unless we have line of sight on our child, regardless of how old they are, line of sight is 24 seven. Like you have visual contact, you're in their presence 24 seven. That's the only way that anybody can guarantee that your nobody's going to hurt your child and that they're not going to hurt themselves. That's not really reality. The reality is our kids are going to get older or our kids are going to go off to their grandparents to go off to sleep over, go over to their friend's house, neighbor's house, who's ever house. And we don't know everybody else that's there. Right. And so there's always going to be opportunities for somebody to hurt the child or for the child to hurt somebody else as much as it is unthinkable that happens. And how do we create the space for young people to come and be able to share, look, 
you know, somebody hurt me, somebody violated me, somebody sexually abused me, somebody yeah. sexually me. Right. Right. So how do we take that in and listen instead of judging and, oh my God, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that to that person. And, and then, or we get into the place of not believing our child. Mm-hmm. Well, because it's so out of not my child, because we operate out of not my child, that would never happen to my child. Mm-hmm. Well, and with sexual assault, it's such a thing that people don't want to talk about or it feels really uncomfortable, this idea of talking to your parents about sex. And are there conversations you can have with your children when maybe they're really young so it doesn't feel like the super uncomfortable thing when they get older? Um, I think that, you know, sexual abuse um, is something that's so hidden and um, there's not a lot of resources and conversations you know, there, there's more understanding in the community around when a, uh, somebody that identifies as a female mm-hmm. has been sexually abused or sexually assaulted, there's more resources, but boys are at almost the same ratio, you know, and there's nothing really set up for our young boys or trans or queer um, gay youth um, when something happens to them, right? And yeah. so, um, And so the conversation is like, if, a lot of people have it, but if we're able to get to a place where when they're very young to really call out their body parts, you mm-hmm. know, instead of having little nicknames for your um, your vagina or your penis or your butt or your body part, just actually having names to it, um, it's going to give him more confidence instead of like raising him from calling little nicknames for your body, private body parts. Um, it, it just makes a huge difference if we can start just, you know, it's not some shameful thing that our private body parts are, but also just, you know, having the conversations with our kids when they're able to two, three, I mean, I started at two, three, four, five years old and young, and I encourage people to do that. Although that is sometimes uncomfortable to be like, you know, you don't sit on people's laps. You don't mm-hmm. you teach them about boundaries. You know, when you go and have a sleepover, you need to change your clothes and nobody should be touching your body. You shouldn't be touching anybody else's body. Nobody should be asking you to do things that are uncomfortable or that you don't want to do and threatening you. Like we kind of set the tone and have those conversations young on. And that kind of leaves it open that if that does ever happen, that the, A, the parents can say, you can come and talk to me about it, you know, if that ever does happen. Or if sometimes the parents are not always the people that the kids feel the closest to and that they have somebody that's a trusted source that they can go to if something like that, you know, that they've experienced violation that they can have, whether it's a school counselor, whether it's, you know, a trusted family member. So I was thinking as you were saying that, imagine how many instances of abuse would have been prevented had a parent just had that conversation of like, this is not appropriate. This is what you should do. Because sometimes kids just may not know it's like the first time you're ever facing something and it feels weird, but you're not really sure. And if someone could just have that conversation, um, I just agree with that so much. Yeah. Yeah. And just having, you know, having those conversations um, 
early on in something that's ongoing, I really highly recommend those conversations to happen um, as reminders as people go and sleep, you know, stay at their friends for the weekend, you know, to think about where they're going. And like one of the things that, you know, I, I was a very overprotective mother because I'm a survivor of sexual abuse and, um, and, and sexual assault. Uh, growing up. And so I was completely the opposite. And a lot of parents are like that. And it's like, you're just so protective. You don't let them go spend the night. You have people over at your house because you know what's going on. Right. Mm -hmm. And at some point that's not realistic either, but even when we're the most protective parents, our kids will still get hurt. Somebody will find an opportunity to hurt our child and it's heartbreaking and it's and it's, it's probably one of the worst pains um, that I've ever experienced in my life, um, being like the overprotective parent and a single parent at that. And uh, you just still have to deal with that situation and giving them the space to heal of what they're needing, not what we think they need. Yeah. You know, it's like loving our, our young people where they're at and not like, you have to go to counseling. You have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this. You have to build that relationship and, and they'll tell you what kind of support they need. I mean, it's an uncomfortable, disturbing conversations, you know, cause it's usually hidden issues like that are within family, within people that we trust. And that's the scary part. And so that's why we have to keep those dialogues open and going that when you're going away to visit family out of state that you still are like, hey, you have to keep those conversations going uh, because a lot of times what happens is when kids have separate families or they're going away for the summer or something like that, right? And then the kids come back to their, you know, their regular home from visiting for the summer or whatever, and then they change, right? Um, they change their behavior. They're more angry. They're more isolated, just different behaviors you notice. And yeah. we just think, oh, they're just teenagers. Oh, they're just angry. Oh, they're just, just this. some phase. Yeah. Yeah. And we need to actually spend a little more time with them and uh, creating a space where they can have open dialogues with us, regardless. Like it could be anything that they could tell us and that well, we are able to contain it and support and love them still it seems like part of it too is just more conversations in general like teenagers don't always want to connect with their parents a lot and so how can you just get more conversation happening just every day sometimes it's not sometimes you know we're in a world of technology sometimes it's not always about like hey we're gonna have a face-to-face -face conversation sometimes yeah. text and say hey i noticed this you know, can I give you extra support? And maybe you have to do that five or 10 times. Like I'm worried about you. I would love to, you know, see what's going on. If there's something that you need or, you know, just where are they at? Just trying to spend more time with them on that level. Yeah. Well, and I was thinking when you were talking about letting children kind of take the lead in their own lives and sometimes as a parent, you think you're being helpful of like, let me fix this. And, you know, every situation is different. But if you're always like, let me fix this, that also sort of sends a message of you can't do this on your own. 
Yeah. And we have to empower, you know, maybe we are not going to be the person that helps and supports them at that time, but it's also guiding them to, you know, help themselves, right. And support mm -hmm. themselves in a way, but we're walking along and let me know what I can do. Let me know what you're needing, you know, kind of thing. Uh, we want to get away from the rescue and save because kids are going to make their own mistakes. They're going to make their own decisions. And as caregivers and parents, we have to realize that um, they're their own people. They make their own decision, you know, and we cannot force them to, we're not with them all the time to make the right decisions all the time at the right times, you know? Mm -hmm. What about things like addiction? Because that seems like a shaky one where on one hand, you want your children to speak to you about anything and be able to be open, but then you also don't want to just enable them or... Yeah. You know, some parents are just like, I let my child smoke weed in the basement every night because it's better than on the street. And it's mm -hmm. sort of like, I don't even know how to approach that one, or it seems difficult. I always just believe like if kids don't have like, you know, there's age ages for different reasons, you know, you're 16, you drive, you're 21, you can drink and you can do those yeah. things. They're adults, you know? And so if parents are, you know, lenient and, in, in, you know, and they're under age or they're not, you know, at the age where they can drink or smoke marijuana. And I get that some parents are like, well, they can do it at my house. Um, me personally, there's a reason why those boundaries are there. Those, those, um, things are kind of set in place. You got to look forward to and be mature enough and be an adult to make those decisions. Then I think we kind of take it away when we're like, well, you can do it at my house. How can people keep up with you and all the amazing work you're doing in the community? The name of the our our business is Asho, which in Bengali means to come join. We're asking people to come join. And um, it's uh, A-S-H-H-O dot org. And people can get catering from us. They can rent space here. They can host summits and conferences here. You can come and bring your music and your youth group here, Bobby. Um, right on. Yeah. We are going to really try to focus, um, you know, getting young people in here and having brave conversations and building community, but also addressing different things that are going on because we realize that schools have so much pressure to do the academic piece, but we're also forgetting the social and the life skills. Um, people can also hire me to come talk about really difficult topics. If they need a keynote speaker or they need workshops and trainings on things that they don't want to talk about. <laughs> well, you're doing incredible work. You have a huge fan in me and just thank you so much for taking the time and talking about these tough conversations. Yes. Well, thank you for allowing me to come and talk and giving this opportunity and, um, Hopefully the some of the messages can resonate with um, somebody, you know, even if it's one message, but I just want to say that, you know, for parents, you know, if your kids have ever been incarcerated or going through mental health and addiction, it is heartbreaking and it's, it's unbearable and it's very isolating and just know that you are not alone and um, there is another organization that I think you should connect with. It's called Pathways to Hope, who really works with families who may have kiddos who are in the system or have been incarcerated. So, um, you know, parents, you're doing the best you can and just keep showing up. Thank you, Krishita. We're proud to have you as part of our community. 
This has been the Parental Compass by Family Education and Support Services. I am Bobby Williams. We'll see you next week. Peace.